What's up? This is Matt Dietz, and this is None of My Business. This is the show where I get to sit down and talk to smart and creative and ambitious entrepreneurs who are in the middle of their journey because no one is given a playbook at the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey. And we have to figure it all out on our own. So I wanted to build a library for people who are about to hop into this journey or who are struggling and hear stories from those who are doing it well. And so today on the show, I have my good friend Brian White back. Uh, Brian is the owner of uh, 14 Dutch Bros locations here in the Valley. And um, we have known each other quite a long time and I've seen his business grow and grow and grow. And so I, I invited him back in. He was in once, uh, I interviewed him one other time. Uh, it was probably four or five years ago, uh, maybe even longer than that. And uh, he's gone through, he's gone through a lot since then. We talked, we just kind of hit record and 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 talk shop, and had a great conversation. We talked about uh, things like buying businesses. He bought a couple of businesses over the past few years, and what that process is like. We talk about having a good team around you, you know, to help you make good decisions. The thing I like about Brian is he's willing to take risks in his business, and not not huge risks, but smartly calculated risks. And uh, we talk a little bit about that too. We talk about growth. His business has grown a lot and how have you scaled and how have you managed? How, how has your role in your company changed, you know, since you started and it's changed a lot. He has over 500 employees. And when he started, I think he had four. So his growth has been uh, exponential. Talk about tinkering in his business and how he likes to continue to refine and get things better. And so we had a really awesome conversation. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to sharing this chapter of your story and uh, let's just, uh, let's get into it. All right. Well, I am joined today with Brian White, who uh, owns a bunch of Dutch Bros here in town. How are you, Brian? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. We, You and I sat down and talked. It's been six or seven years. Yep. Has your business changed at all in the past <laughs> six or seven years? <laughs> just, just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. So, um, gosh, when we first talked, I think you might have had five or six stands open. That's ab- probably correct, about. yeah. How many do you have today? So we have 14 locations through our Dutch Bros company. Okay. Um, and then we've ventured out a little bit uh, more recently, and we can talk about that later. But I have a few other business ventures. But as far as the Dutch Bros goes, we have 14 total locations, uh, all based in the Treasure Valley here. We're kind of uh, Mountain Home, Boise, Garden City, and it'd be eastern or east meridian yeah so you have a territory Mm -hmm. and you've got boundaries yep now the there's been so much growth in the valley are you maxed out do you have a number i know when we talked a a while ago you know i think you said like you were shooting for 10 you know but now you're at 14 and the growth still continues to come do you guys are you guys going to keep going or yeah, so so an interesting thing happened. Originally, that was our plan, was when we came to Boise, we looked at the population at the time. Granted, this was in 2006. So we looked at the population at the time. It was 200,000, almost spot on. Um, and we thought, okay, 10 stores will be about a good coverage for us without cannibalizing one store and, yeah. and such. So um, a couple years ago, uh, in uh, 2020, um, we were brought an opportunity to purchase, buy out another franchisee here in the Valley. Um, right. And 
So he had six locations at the time, all in Meridian. And so myself, along with the Randalls, who are the other franchisee in uh, Nampa Caldwell area, we came together and bought out that franchise. So um, we ended up with three of the Meridian stores. Or uh, Andrew and Shana ended up with another three um, on the west side of Meridian. So that kind of opened up our search area and quickly gave us three more stores. So um, cut that coupled with Mountain Home coming on, we never thought Mountain Home was a destination right. that we would be at. Um, but there's just such growth potential out there. Um, there's this talk of a new casino going in out there, um, which I think will be huge for Mountain Home. Yeah. Um, and so we got in early out there and have a location that's up and operating and doing really well. Um, but as far as our growth with that takeover of the Meridian, our territory expanded. Um, so we're still actively looking all over. Um, CUNA is a market that we're really sure. trying to uh, look at. There's a lot of locations we like. We're waiting on sewer to be provided to a lot of those locations because the, the city just hasn't expanded as quickly um, as the demand is there. All right. But, well, let's, I just wrote this down and you mentioned it, but, but you bought three franchises or three locations, yep. right? I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what that process is like. So what's it like buying a business? What are some things that like when this opportunity kind of presented itself, what kind of things would you tell somebody else in, in, in those shoes? Like here's some things you need to look at. And like, how did you come to an agreement on price? I'm always fascinated with like, how yep. do you decide like what this business is worth? Uh, there are different metrics. Well, what did you guys use as far as metrics? And what was the process like of, of, of buying other businesses? That's, that's a big acquisition, you know? So what was that like? Yeah. So we, um, w- when it came up, when it first came up, it was, uh, I was first told by the current franchisee that was there that he was leaving. He was going to sell sell out of his franchise and um at that moment when we found that out it wasn't necessarily we we didn't have an option right at that moment to buy um and so we kind of talked to him about his future plans blah blah blah, and what it was going to look like but um i think the initial understanding was that our headquarter team was going to buy him out right that's what i remember too and do what they wanted with it maybe put an operator in there this and that and so over the course of a month or so andrew randall and i talked a little bit about you know Hey, we're both out here. There's no reason to get somebody else in the middle. Um, and so we ended up going to Dutch Bros saying, hey, what's the chances of us being able to buy them out? And so um, it kind of came down to that. The It was Dutch Bros saying, yeah, we actually like that idea better. Why don't you guys negotiate uh, one-on-one with uh, the Arnells who were selling? So right. um, we did that. We entered into negotiations with them, which was uh, – it was it was an interesting process. I'd never been through anything like it before, um, but it was challenging at times, but ultimately rewarding. Um, Did you have any help or direction from anyone else that was like, "Hey, look, this is what you need to be looking at. Mm-hmm. This is what we think a fair price is." Like, were you getting help from like, I know your dad's smart with all this stuff. Yep. Was he on board with this and? You know, were you getting help from like lawyers or accountants or like what kind of team did you have to comb over all this stuff to look at it, you know, and, you know, get some direction that that helped you, you know, come to a number that was going to be comfortable for both parties? Yeah. So we got um, early on, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, my dad was part of it. He's uh, always comes in on big decisions we're doing with the company and things like that. So um, but we really were lucky in the fact that Dutch Bros has actually bought out 
franchisees in the past in different areas. So um, we really relied heavily on kind of the metrics that they had used and the model they'd used in the past. So they already had kind of like a fair market value type Correct. metric out there that you could start with. At least. Yeah. And it was very specific to Dutch Bros and what we do. And so it made sense. So we all, both parties agreed on kind of following that model. Um, but then at that point, yes, my accountant, Jared, um, got involved in his firm, um, on our side. And I know, um, Jeff had his accountant and firm on their side. And then we had attorneys obviously get involved as well, which for good or bad or the other, I mean, we needed them as part of it. So, um, so that, that all got, and there were times where there was some tension that we had to work through and, you know, cause we, in any business, we didn't see eye to eye right at the beginning on what we thought it was worth. So, um, that was a that was an interesting process to go through, but but we did eventually over the course of about three months negotiate the thing out, and you know we both won on some things and we both lost on some things. Yeah, are you glad you made that decision? Yes, one hundred percent. It was a great move for us because we were, I mean, we're still in Dutch Bros one hundred percent, and we're in it for the long haul. So um, it, it made a ton of sense for us long term. to do What was it. the transition like? You know, taking over stands with. With that, with the team that they had, you know, in place, were were there any, you know, road bumps along the way? It's like, all right, we just got three locations. They're fully staffed with people. Like, did you keep everybody? Did you keep some? Like, did you give them the option? What was what was that transitional period like when you were, you know, you just got three new businesses? Like, what did you what what did you have to do to bring it up to to your speed and you know your expectations? Yeah. So um, obviously, we have the benefit of being Dutch Bros. So everything there's a lot of similarities to everything everyone does, but every Every franchisee runs his business a little different. Um, And so we obviously had to catch up to some of the things that they did um, and catch them up on things that we did because obviously we were coming in with 10 existing stores, adding three. So we didn't want to mess up our whole way of doing things. Um, But at the same time, we did spend a lot of time with their employees and learned quite a bit of stuff too that was like, well, actually, that's a great idea. Why aren't we doing it this way? So there was a little bit of give and take that way. Um, But I think the biggest thing was to try to make those employees feel welcomed because, you know, I I always would equate it to kind of a, maybe a a divorce in a, in a family, right? Like your parents are gone and here comes your, you know, new dads coming in, how, you know, how are they going to take it and all that? And so that took some time to build confidence and um, you know, not everything we were doing, all the employees there loved and they had to adjust down to what we were doing. And, um, you know, the majority of all of them stuck around and, but not to say we didn't lose some people too, that weren't wanting to make the transition or the change. And so, um, from that though, I mean, our current team today, we have, um, one of our regional managers was, uh, a guy that came over from Meridian in that transition. Um, I think he was assistant manager at the time, worked up to manager. Now he's one of our regionals. So the teams have integrated really well. Um, and now two years later, we're all one big right. family. So, um, we also navigated all this right at the heart of COVID. Right. So, um, that, I mean, literally we, we took over the Marine stores. I, I believe it was July 1st, 2020. So it was right in the heart of the beginning of COVID where nobody knew what was what. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to get to COVID in a sec because that's something that is an interesting conversation now that we were, we're on the tail end of it, hopefully, but there's, right. there's so much 
that business owners had to adjust and figure out. So we're going to get to that. But I'm curious. So give me a mile high view of your operation right now. Like you have 14 stores, like how many employees, what is your hierarchy? What's your, what's your, you know, your chart look like? Like you're on the top, like how does it go? Do you have, you know, middle management? Do you have mm-hmm. so walk me through what all your departments are and, and how you're built? Yeah. So, um, yeah, 14 stores, um, all staff included, um, I'll butcher this number because I don't know, but call it between four and 500, somewhere in there. Okay. I'm going really broad because every time I do this, somebody at my office is like, you're not even close. It but might be different too by the time we're done. It changes hourly. <laughs> <this> yeah, <laughs> sure. So that, that, and that's all employees in the shops, this and that. And then I have obviously a full support staff outside that is just in my, like an administrative staff. So um, kind of our, our um, chart looks like, it's myself, and then underneath I have a, a number two. Her name's Jessa, and she's been with us for years and years and years. And she is in charge of all the day-to-day operations stuff, stuff I used to do. All yeah. the um, dealing with employees, dealing with you know any type of drama that goes on, dealing with um, everything that goes on in the shops on a minute-by-minute basis. Um, she really keeps her finger on the pulse of all of that, um, and helping her underneath her are. Um, regional managers. So we have four regional managers for our shops. They all have their own pods, um, three or four shops each. Um, And then underneath them, obviously each store has a manager and assistant. So there's just a web kind of underneath, but if working up really Jessa is oversees everything for me, which has completely changed my, my life, which has been great. (laughs) Um, Cause it's freed me up to do so much other stuff. And, um, and really concentrate on stuff I really enjoy sure. um, and not get bogged down in other stuff. So that's kind of what it looks like for us. Um, but yeah. we have a full marketing department. We have a HR department. Um, we have a maintenance department. Right. So that's a lot. All right. So when you, so let's, let's go all the way back. Like when you first started, you didn't have any of that, right? Correct, it was yeah. like you and mm-hmm. how did you staff your first store when you opened so the f- first store we opened was the one on Chinon that we're actually just getting ready to move down the street finally. Um, but that store, I think there were six of us once the dust settled and we figured out how many people we needed. We had six people working. One was me, one was my wife. Um, so really only four additional people. Um, and it was just, that's all we did back then is I would open the shop, work with one other employee till noon. My wife would come in at noon. She would work in the shop. Um, with another employee and then we had one night guy that would or night guy or girl that would come in but um that was it we did that there wasn't a lot of administrative stuff because we had one store i would do all the manager duties all the bank deposits all that and and keeping the accounts clean for one shop is surprisingly easy compared to 14. 14 yeah all right, so so walk me through your growth. Like, mm-hmm. when did you decide that you needed help outside of you know? When did you install like middle management? When did you like God? I just I'm I I'm done with mm-hmm. the. I don't want to hire anymore. I'm I've hired 500 people, you know, in seven years. You know, like when did you when did you decide that you need help? Because you can't really scale and grow, you know, with six people. You know, so what was it like? when did you make the decision? Like, all right, we, we need some, some management help other than just like, you know, the baristas that are in, you know, making coffee yeah. and serving it. What was that? Walk me through like your growth. Yeah, it was probably, uh, it was uh, years old. I'll mess that up, but uh, right around shop four and five, um, 
shop four was our Cole and Victory store, and five was our uh, Franklin and Orchard store. So right in that time, um, I think it was a jump from four shops to five. That's when I decided, okay, I can't keep a finger on the pulse of everything. So um, the first move was to bring on one of those regional manager positions. So uh, we did that, and then um, that actually worked out really well. So about two or three months after that, I brought on a second one. Um, and we've played with the duties that those people have, um, over and over again. And I can't remember what we started as their job roles. Well, I mean, we've, we've had it as much as one of them did all the orders for all the shops. And that was a nightmare after a while. So managers went back to doing or we've, we've played with every different scenario or or style of business, but, um, but it was right around that time that we started bringing the regionals in and then about shop, uh, nine ten in Boise is when we transitioned to more regionals and then kind of transitioned into this I needed someone in charge of the regionals underneath me Um, and then that position has continued to morph into what it is today that Jessa occupies well I like what you said earlier when like we tried all these different iterations on what these people need to be doing and I think I love to tinker in my business I've tried I'm like trying new things and becoming more efficient is something that I like enjoy doing like I'm sure you like coffee but I think for you know I think you love like being a business owner and like mm-hmm. running a business and trying to figure things out and that's what I like to do too is like I like insurance but I really love running a business yep. and solving all the problems that come and all the challenges that come and so like you know, your willingness to try, you know, with a blank sheet of paper on like what, what, like in the beginning, you're probably like, what do you think these people should do? And you sat down with a handful of people. Like, I think they should do these four or five things. And then, you know, as time goes, you're like, well, that's not working. We got to change this. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy that process of figuring out and tinkering and things like that until you finally kind of mold it to right where you want it to be? Yeah. And I think you hit it on the head. Like it's same, like, Dutch Bros to me, because people always say, like, you must love coffee. You must. And yeah, I do. I like coffee a lot. And, um, but I have like a cup a day and it's not like it's, I mean, I can only have so much. So, right. and I've had it for 20 years. That I've been with this company at full access to coffee. So, right. um, the, uh, I love the tinkering side and, and it's just my mindset on the difference of why I tinker. When I was first starting out, everything was to save money because we had no money. Sure. So every decision we made or every, new process that we tried um was because i thought it would save i mean down to like can we get away with using 10 rags to clean the shop instead of 12 that'll save us like 10 cents right so every little thing um we did and with personnel and everything and positions we put them in like i had mentioned one of those regionals doing all the orders that was just because i had one person doing it that could focus all their time on it and maybe bring down our cost of goods yeah. you know costs. and that's that served you well over your entire career because you're eliminating waste right out of the gate mm-hmm. you know and i remember when i was running my business I, I well, we didn't make any money when we were starting selling insurance and so i didn't even i didn't have a marketing budget mm-hmm. but i learned how to acquire customers without a marketing budget and that's like never changed for me you know ever since i've now that we're making you know comfortable living and things like that all of a sudden i'm not like ooh, now i'm gonna spend thousands of dollars a month on marketing just because i have it like now that i know how to market my business without really any expense 
why would I change that? Correct. You know what I mean? So like, so being efficient right out of the gate, almost out of desperation, sure, you know, you're yeah. like, I gotta, I gotta pay the bills. I gotta buy the milk. I gotta pay my employees. You know, how can we cut, how can we be as efficient as possible? So I'm sure that served you well, you know, throughout, you know, your whole career. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's uh, provided an opportunity today to be able to make decisions and with a little more creativity, not financially driven as right. far as, you know, we can get more creative and if we screw up and make a mistake, it's fine. We can just bounce back because we've, we have the liberty of having the extra, you know, the, the stockpile of cash set aside because of the early decisions. Um, they're not as scary. We can have a little more fun with it now yeah. um, and not worry and, and be able to react quickly. If something's not working, then we just change it and find something new. And, and the nice thing about the, the company I'm with as well is we have a huge network of people that have tried everything over and over again. So we're not trying to recreate the wheel most of the time. Right. Just learn from what others have done. And we talk a lot and there's a lot of you know, communication yeah. about what works. Sure. We do that too, where it's like, if you run into something that you haven't run into before, which you probably still do, mm-hmm. you've got this whole pool of people. You're like, Hey, how do you guys handle this? Yep. And you'll have like 20 people that are like, this is what we've done. And this is what we've done. Yep. And so having that support network is really con- It's almost like a safety net, you know? So mm-hmm. you've got people that have done it and then you don't have to figure it out anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go through that trial and error period. You're like, this sounds good. I'm going to do that. Yeah. We just did that with, um, I know uh, we might touch on this later, but the hiring process and where we're at today, but we just did that exact thing because we're, we were having trouble getting big numbers coming in and we just threw it out on our, our company forum. Yeah. Who's, who's doing something special to get people to come into these interviews. And uh, we got a ton of ideas back. So that exact situation. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about hiring. Um, Back in the day, like you guys, didn't struggle finding people like right. you had people wanting to work for you. It was really unique. Like if I have to hire, if I hire, no one's lining up my door. You're like, I want to work for an insurance right. agent. You know, so we have to, we, our, our search is a little bit different, but you know, you threw out, you know, we're hiring and you guys would have a hundred people show up, you know, right. um, is it still like that? Um, what's your, what's the hiring climate like today? How are you guys managing it? Um, how are you onboarding people successfully? Let's just mm-hmm. talk about yeah. talk about that climate right now because it's a kind of contentious out there right now. Yeah, no, it's and it's changed. Um, that's for sure. I, you know, it, it did used to be that we would put out a, a casting call, if you will, or whatever, and we'd have these mass interviews of 100, 150 people show up, and um, so and that was a blessing at the time. But things have changed. Um, bigger than. Those were spaced out quite a bit. We would do those twice a year, maybe three times a year. Um, now we're hiring so much more frequently because we have higher turnover now. We, we're not getting uh, our employees staying around as long as they used to. Um, and so we're doing a lot more. Inter- I think we're doing it twice a month now, kind of an open interview. Um, and so it's hard to tell numbers-wise how it c- computes with wh- how many people we used to get. People used to wait longer to right. to come in but um you know we still get decent numbers coming in but it's definitely harder now than it used to be um and it's just harder to i mean we went through not just the covid age of everyone staying home and working from home and you know the the government handouts and all this stuff it was almost more enticing for a lot of kids the age that we hire typically to stay home and you know collect unemployment or whatnot um because 
that's a heck of a lot easier. So to get yep. them to break out of that and come back, we're starting to see it, but it's taken, you know, it's, we're two years now from when COVID, what first came out, I yeah. guess, or so almost two and a half yep. or so. So it is coming back around, I think, but the environment is completely different from five years ago. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you said people aren't staying as long as they used to. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea why? I, I chalk it up as a generational thing. I think we're just kind of uh, generationally we're flowing in a different direction than it was um, before. I think, you know, we, we for so long had these groups of, you know, friends of friends of friends all working together and whether they were BSU students and they were four years there. So they stayed with us those four years. Um, you know, it just seems to have shifted a little bit and we don't have as much of that continuity with each other. Like people come in and they still stay, but, um, definitely not for those year after year after year. Um, so I don't have an exact perfect answer on why I just, I mean, I just look at because we deal with the same age group, you know, throughout the generations. And so I see the differences of the groups every five to eight years coming through. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a transitional job. Let's be sure. honest. Like 100%. This is not, it's not a career that you're looking at here. Um, but so you're going to have people that stay, you know, while they're in college or, mm-hmm. you know, while they're studying to get their degree or whatever it is, yep. you know, you have those people. And, and so it serves an important purpose for them at that period of their life, but it's not something that they're going to probably make a, you know, a career out of. Correct. But I'm guessing that the people that you do, you know, move up who become, you know, assistant managers and then managers and then regionals, like I'm, I'm sure you hire, you promote from within. Mm-hmm. Right. And so do those people stay significantly longer? Do those people have aspirations of being an operator of a location, yep. you know, elsewhere, things like that? Have you been able to transition people, you know, from your, you know, entity into running their own shop someplace else? Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of that. Um, we have actually just right now, we've had some operators, um, that have left us uh, and went and did their own Dutch Bros. Uh, we had a gal, uh, Christy, she's down in Texas, um, opening or operating some stores. Um, we have one of my regionals, Tim, right now, is getting ready to take off to uh, Kansas City area. I forget the name of the town specifically, but right outside of Kansas City. Um, so he's getting ready to leave here in the next couple months, um, which is always bittersweet because you're losing yeah. a great person. But they're also staying in the family overall. But so we have that. We have some other employees that have left us and gone on to work at the headquarter offices doing various tasks and things. Um, so there, there is that career path if somebody wants to take it. Um, it's not, I mean, it's a pretty small percentage yeah. overall if you look at how many employees we have and how many are going to stick around for that. But um, back to your question of we do 100% promote from within. Like I can't think of any time we've brought someone into one of those higher levels that hasn't been with us yeah. and come up through the ranks. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Cause they have the culture already installed yep, you know, exactly. and, so, and they can feed it, you know, now from the top down instead of, you know, from, you know, from the bottom up. So that's the best way to go. Yeah. Most of my leaders, I mean, they've come from all the way down to, they've done every single task in the shop from the dirtiest job to, you know, managing to all the way up. So these guys have all worked the night shifts that everyone, you know, not everyone, but, uh, people tend to complain about because you're kind of the janitor of the shop. You're cleaning up after all day and getting it ready for the next day. And, but all my management team, they've all done that. So, yeah. you know, when, when those complaints come up, it's like, Hey, I've been there. I've right. done it. And yeah. so, I know this sucks. Yeah. You <laughs> right. don't have to do it forever. You Correct. Know, just yeah. Paying your dues. Yeah. 
Um, so let's talk about COVID. You know, what was that like? It was so disruptive for, for everybody. I'm mm-hmm. curious on what and how it affected you guys. Um, did you close, did you guys have to close for a long period of time? Um, did you have to lay everybody off? Like what was, what happened to you during that time? No, we, uh, so we stayed open the entire time. Um, we were deemed essential by whatever standards they were deeming people. Yeah. <laughs> it was a not. pretty broad stroke. It right? really was. Yeah. Um, so we stayed open. Um, we did have some shops close early on when um, we would have a couple employees that would get sick um, and get tested. We would close the shop down and have it disinfected and all, all right. that stuff um, when that's what people were saying, that's, this is what has to happen and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, we were learning day to day like everyone else. So um, as far as our structure, stuff, I mean, I went to the office most time our office staff worked from home for a portion of it not a ton but a portion um and then we were just obviously aware of when people were sick and things like that to be you know aware of it but um our day-to-day we stayed open because you know which was great because we gave our customers a chance to get out of their house and those people that were you know required to work from home stuff like we still gave them an outing and so the biggest thing for us was navigating the differences of our busy times of the day because we went from staffing for, you know, this rush in the morning and then this noontime rush and then an after work rush. We transitioned all that because that was gone. Everyone was working from home. Right. So, so that, it must have been there were crickets in the morning. Like, what? This is so weird, right? It's yeah. Like, the morning shift wasn't the most desirable now because it wasn't the busiest anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it uh, it really changed the way we looked at it. And obviously now, fast forward to today, we're back to pretty much normal standard everything but um there was a time there where it was interesting to look at like and trying to learn when people were coming in yeah are there anything is there anything from covid that you've kind of held over that has either helped or changed your operation maybe not permanently but like right now like we're still doing that like a lot of companies still have people working from home and you know they've tightened up their operations here maybe they learned how to run their business with you know, 60% of staff instead of a hundred, because they figured they, oh my gosh, we can do it with six people instead of 10, you know, were there any things that permanently shifted or changed because of COVID for you? Um, not for us. I mean, I like being back to how we were. Um, I, I hated the COVID time. Um, I really did (laughs) the, uh, so I like being back to where we are full staff. That's not, so we didn't carry much over. Um, but we didn't, we honestly didn't change much either. If you looked at our business, before, during, and after COVID, as far as from the outsider's perspective, nothing changed. Like we operated as normal as um, everything. Um, obviously, we had employees wearing masks for a while, right. so that was different. We did not carry that over. I would never let that happen. <laughs> the, uh, but it, uh, you know, there were there was nothing really that we changed majorly. Um, you know, doing meetings that we did a few times over Zoom because of that. I mean, we don't do that anymore. I like seeing people. I like sitting across from someone and having eye contact and this and that, and they're not distracted by, you know, Netflix over in the corner of their room watching that. Um, You know, I think our our company as a whole, our headquarter team and things like that, some of that stuff is is stuck over just because we didn't really know about Zoom and all that before. Right. Um, And so we do some of that, and that just helps logistically so I'm not flying back and forth as much to go to Grants Pass or things like that. So that, that definitely stuck around, I guess, from my side of things. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's helpful because that's not an easy trip to make a couple no, times a year. Not at all. Let's talk a little bit about, I kind of want to talk about 
you know, Dutch Bros, the, the company itself. When, when you open your stand, your first stand, do you know what, what number were you for the company? I believe Chinden was 96. 96. And I don't know if you're keeping track, and I've kind of lost track at this point, but do you know what, what number they're at now? Oh, gosh, like, it's 800-something. 800. So I looked the other day, I mean, maybe a month ago. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I think it was upper 800, somewhere yeah. right in there. So Dutch Rose was founded in 1992, mm-hmm. right out of Grants Pass. And uh, it's been... Uh, so they started with locations in Oregon, and I know that they were Pacific Northwest for a while. I'm guess I'm gonna guess, but uh, you know Washington and then Idaho and Oregon. I know you guys were in California. You guys went to Northern California, mm-hmm. I think. And now I don't know. You're probably in 15, 20 states at this point, yeah. or something like that. But what's what's drastically changed? You guys went public. Mm-hmm. What two two years ago? Has it been two years? Maybe a little less than that. Um, I can't remember the exact date. Maybe a little less than that. Yeah. And then you were a franchise model, so like you would, you know, you bought it. Was it was almost one year ago, I think. Oh, just I think it's just one year. year. I think it's been about a year. Okay, so you went, um, but it was a franchise model for a long time. So all the franchises were independently owned, you know, by yeah. people like you. Um, and then a while back. They all became comp- all new locations were company owned stores, mm-hmm. and so they were owned by what you call operators, which is different. So they're not they're not they don't own them, but they're they're doing all the day to day operations and are probably paid a salary. And I'm not sure how that all shakes out, but the whole model has changed sure. a lot. And then since you went public, I know you hired you brought on a new company to help with growth and marketing and things like that. What have you seen from your seat? Like has changed since. You know, since it went public, that's a huge change for a company like this. I'm just curious on what what's been your experience from your Has your has anything changed for you? You're like, I'm just still doing the same thing. It's mm-hmm. just what they're doing is is different moving forward. You know, have you? What's it been like for you? Yeah, it's um, really on the surface not a ton has changed for us locally here. Um, we were pretty established in this market for a long time. Um, I mean, it obviously brought more attention to us um even locally people that maybe we weren't on their radar still you know they saw that we went public they saw the advertising and all that going up to it all the news stories and all that so um you know that gave us a little jolt similar to the jolt when trav our uh founder was on uh um undercover boss right years ago we yeah. got a big jump from that because everyone saw it and yeah so similar to that the going public locally here um, just kind of energize people. But as far as being a franchisee in that model, um, nothing is, is changed on our day to day or what's expected of us or what we can expect from headquarters and, and their team. Um, we've all been grandfathered in under contracts that we had and, and all that. So nothing's really changed there. I mean, obviously the, the move going public has, has helped the growth of the company and these operators. Cause like you said, I mean, I'll butcher all the states, but I mean, yeah, we're talking Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, um, Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, they're east. all over. So um, it's a whole different world than when we first, when when uh, Chinden store opened here in Garden City, that was the first one in Idaho. So um, it was just Oregon, Washington, Northern California, and then we were the first one in Idaho. So that was back in 2007. Um, and so from seven to today, they've expanded you know, exponentially, but, um, but yeah, not a lot's changed. Um, you know, I, I could still tomorrow call travel on the phone and he'd answer. Um, he's obviously 
has a, a ton of new endeavors he's embarking on and he's got obviously a, a board of trustees and all this stuff that comes with going public. Right. So there's a lot of changes I think in his world and, and in the headquarter world um, of new personnel and stuff. But um, the support's still there. I could call him. I could still call Joth um, anytime I want and we could talk through things and, and bounce things off of needed. So that side of it's been great. There hasn't been, you know, I don't feel out of touch with, the company or anything after they've gone public or anything. I think I'd be curious on like one of the things that make you guys unique and special has been your culture, right? From mm-hmm. day one, you guys have a very unique, high energy people go to buy coffee from your locations because of the experience that they get. You know, your drinks are also, uh, you know, the, you guys serve great drinks. You've expanded your kind of menu. You know, you offer more now, but, but like people generally knew what they were going to get when they go to a Dutch. Now, when you get to, I think one of the potential concerns with such massive growth is that your culture is going to be affected. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed anything like that? Have they been able to keep it consistent? Is- yeah. And I think, honestly, I think the move to the operators was sole purpose was to keep the culture in, intact. Um, you know, I, I, I know, I've had so many people ask my opinion on the operator system over the franchisee system. And, you know, I, I think for the purposes of keeping the culture intact, it was a smart move um, because as they grow into these other markets, there was going to be plenty of people with lots of money that would probably love to open a Dutch bros in their town, city, whatever. Um, but that's where the culture is going to start slipping because they're not, they won't have grown up in it. So every right. operator that goes out there is growing up in the system. They're, they're getting entrenched with, you know, either another operator's, vision or their local franchisees vision um but ultimately we all share even though we do things differently here and there day to day we all share the same vision of our headquarter team trav's vision and all that i mean that's just day one been instilled in everyone and you can't really grow with this company if you're not going to buy in um and you know and that's now those operators that become operators have bought in or else they would have been weeded out earlier in the process so So I was going to ask you, so you've grown, you've grown a ton since you started. What have been some of the biggest challenges of growth? What would you tell somebody who's kind of, who's kind of staring down a path like yours Mm -hmm. and is like, you know, they just opened their business, but they have a vision of, you know, being substantially larger with multiple locations, you know, in five or 10 years or whatever. What kind of advice would you give someone who's like, this is, I'm starting here. I want to get there. What are some like best practices that you would tell them that they should do along the way to keep them on that path? Cause growth is hard. Mm-hmm. Scaling is hard. Like what kind of things have you learned along the way, you know, to keep that trajectory going? Yeah. I mean, I think the model we took was, I mean, same as a lot of our people that have grown into positions of, um, uh, seniority are, you know, we started from ground zero. Like I was in the shop working. I worked for the company before we even moved out here. Um, just graduating college. It, it was a college job for me. So um, I've done every job in the shop, worked my way up. And, and even to the point of before I had anybody around me, I did every job there. I, I was HR. I was marketing. I was, right. you know, the customer, the service. customer service, everything. I did all of it um, because there was no one else. So I think that has been crucial to being able to sit back now and not only help somebody else that is under Neath me working on in those departments or that of like navigating through something. Um, I mean, I brought HR on because I suck at HR, so I had to bring Your someone attention in. Attention to details is a little fuzzy. Cor- correct. Yeah, yeah, we had people working for us and no files, and <laughs> it was 
it was bad when she like who's who are you yes my my hr guy when she came in was quite unhappy with me but we worked through it so um but i think and that's the other thing you know bring people on that that have the strengths that you don't i mean and recognize that you don't have those strengths that was that was big i probably held on to a few areas that I wasn't super strong in just out of pride. Um, and I probably wasted a year or two of time that we could have been better in those areas. Um, just because selfish pride, I didn't want to give something up. Delegating is hard. Yeah. You know, and I do think, think you do take pride in like everything that you're doing. And, but, but man, once you learn that you can release something and give it to someone else and they can do it just as good or better, Mm -hmm. It's such a good feeling. You know, I kind of never have to worry about running to yeah. the bank again, or I never have to yeah. worry about doing this again. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a crucial part of, of growth and scaling. So, well, and that was big for me is, is, is in that of, of not just recognizing that someone could do it better, but also I would sit there and say, well, if I'm not doing it, what am I going to do with the three hours that I was doing this? Right. And it's amazing. You give that away. There's maybe a day or two of like, okay, this is the time I'd be doing that. But within a matter of two, three, four days, I have two or three other things I'm doing right. that um, I probably was ignoring. Right. Um, and my days are just as full as they've ever been. Yeah. And I have delegated almost everything. But there's always something else that comes up. And you said earlier, you're slowly getting, you will slowly get rid of all the stuff that you don't like to do. Correct. And you end up doing the things that you enjoy doing. And ideally the things you enjoy doing are aligned with, you know, more growth or mm-hmm. helping the business get better or tighter or whatever. So well, like and that's where we're at right now. That's where I'm sitting in a seat of doing what I enjoy, which is growth, which is looking for, you know, even outside Dutch bros, different de- endeavors and things like that. But also within Dutch bros, I love new stores, finding new locations and with everything else I was doing before, I didn't have time to do that. We would just, things would pop up and we'd jump on it. We didn't have time to really analyze as much as I can today. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I'm curious. I wanted to pick your brain. Once you get to a point where, you know, you've got 14 locations and, you know, they're running smoothly and well and you're, you're putting money aside and you're getting money in the bank. But I think a lot of folks, once you get to a certain level, may not know what to do if you if you are maybe putting a nest egg away or something like that. Like, what are some things that people should consider when it comes to, all right, well, we've, we're doing well. We've got this money set aside. You know, I don't want it earning 3%, you know, on a CD or something like that. Or I'm tired. Of, I don't want to be in the market right now. What are some other things that you know, have become available to you or some, some project that you've done that have helped you, um, you know, maybe grow that nest egg in other projects. You know, how do you, uh, how do you find them? You know, what has been good for you? What kind of things are you doing mm-hmm. there? Yeah. So, um, beyond just your standard stocks, 401k, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, cause we do all that, but that's not fun at all. It just yeah. sits there and I don't, I just, I have a, someone manage it and that's right. it so um a phone call a year with that person um how's he doing this year uh i don't know i don't think we've had that actual <laughs> call yet this year <laughs> so we'll see i'll let you know in a couple yeah, weeks okay. the uh but uh as far as other stuff so i come from obviously uh or not obviously to anybody that's listening but to me um, a family that of entrepreneurs has always kind of built their own businesses things like that and the idea being money made money stays in the business like Mm -hmm. um for future things and everything like that and so from day one it's always been instilled in me of like money made stays in for future projects future this and that and so we're to a point now like you said is the money's there 
and I want to expand into into other things. Um, Dutch Bros will continue to be our number one. Um, it's it's got all my passion, and I want to continue growing. We have. I'm hoping for six to seven more stores in our area over the next, you know, five, 10 years. So, um, that's plenty of work there. But, um, beyond that, you know, we have found some other adventures. Uh, my wife and I bought a car wash here in town. Yeah. I want to talk about that. And so that came to us. Um, I was kind of looking at other things, um, and didn't, couldn't really find something I wanted and, and it just kind of fell into our lap and I'm, I'm kind of a big believer in fate and things. So how did it present itself? So we have a, a neighbor of mine is a real estate agent, and um, she had known that we were looking for other business ventures, um, but hadn't really keyed in, in on anything. And um, she wasn't representing the car wash, but a broker friend of hers was, and right. it um, hadn't really been brought to market yet. Um, there were there was another buyer that I guess was also in the car wash world that um, was interested in it, and they got pretty close, but it fell through. And so when it fell through, they were talking about it. And my neighbor said, actually, you know, Brian and Libby have been talking about finding another business venture. So we could take it to him and see. So she brought it to me and said, hey, it's not back on the market yet because this deal just fell through. Are you interested? And it was just kind of that light bulb moment went off. And I'm like, this is this would be great because it's something different and new. But it's fairly passive as well. Like right. it's it's a self serve car wash situation. So um, you know we don't. I mean we have one employee that works up there one hour a night cleaning, right. basically. Um, so it's not gonna take the demand that Dutch Bros does. Right. Um, and so it, it seemed just like a perfect fit for us. So um, so what did you look at when it was presented? You know, from like a number standpoint, like well. Did you buy? You bought the building too, like you bought a land and building, yeah, Yeah. land building, and then the operations. So, Mm -hmm. like, how long? Like, what did you look at? You know, to decide that this was going to be good for you. Like, how did you know that? You know, how long it had been? Did you look at like how long it had been in business? Like, Mm -hmm. what did it make last year? The year before? The year before? Like, what kind of things were you looking at? You know, and how did you come to a number that was like, yeah, we're comfortable with that. Um, so this may not be advice to follow, but I'm not, um, I'm a bit of a gambler. I enjoy gambling. I enjoy taking risks. Um, so we did due diligence for sure. Um, not super lengthy. Um, we met with the current owners, great guys. Um, they opened up their books to us. So we were able to look back. Um, I think they gave us three years worth of, uh, books. And so, we looked through that, that everything there checked out. Obviously I got my accountant involved and to look at it just to verify, I'm not completely idiotic, <laughs> but I do, I, I have a high tolerance for pain and risk. So, um, once we saw that and, um, I live fairly close to the area and I drive by it two, three times a day. So I, right. I'm, I'm aware of it or, and I know of it. And so, um, that was comfortable cause it's right there in our backyard and, the books looked good and um it was kind of that it wasn't my wife is a little less of a risk taker um so more of it was convincing her hey this is gonna be great like this will be really good fine um i mean we bought a car wash at the worst time of the year (laughs) because i think our october 1st this year was our first day of takeover right um and it's winter time so people aren't going up there so but i am confident Spring, summer is kind of... Car washes are big right now, man. They're popping up on every corner. I mean, the big, huge ones, right? Sure. It's a little bit different. Yeah. I'm curious on if you look at... um, 
like, do you look at, you know, how much it grosses and like how long, if it, if it continues to gross what it grossed last year, I don't, mm-hmm. well, I don't know what the numbers are, right? Sure. Let's say it's, say it's a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, just arbitrary numbers. Um, and do you look at, you're like, I want to make back my investment in X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Do you have designs? I mean, like, I want to take that from a hundred thousand to 150,000 or are you like, all right, so if we can, if this thing is going to gross a hundred thousand a year and you figure out what your net profit is, you know, do you measure that out as far as like, I want to make my investment back in a certain period of time. Is mm-hmm. that coming to play for you? Cause that's yeah. how my mind works. I'm like, well, we're going to, we're going to put out this money. It's going to take us three years to make it back. And then it's all gravy after that. Mm-hmm. You know, what if it was eight years? Would you do it then? Like what is, yeah. what does it look like in your head? Yeah. So we looked at that. Um, I know pretty closely to how long it's going to take to repay based on their past three years. And, um, we adjust that number a little bit right now based on even what we're doing year over year because they were nice enough to share with me all that information year over year um i can compare our numbers and it, it right now thankfully it, it's up about 30 percent. so right. um you know and there's things we can do with um pricing and things we've we've done a, a market review of all the other similar style sure. washes and we're pretty low compared to everyone else so um we haven't um, instituted a price increase yet, but I mean, we may at some point just to get back in line with where things are. And and that's something the business owners before us were getting ready to do before they decided they wanted to retire and move on anyway. So things like that we're looking at, which will just accelerate hopefully that payoff period. But, um, we definitely looked at that and I know pretty accurately if everything stays even status quo, what it was for the past three years, um, but hopefully as you know, things grow and Boise grows, yeah, it's gonna, and it's in a part of town that there's a lot of property around it starting to sell. And, um, so the area is expanding. Were there any like upgrades you had to do or like this, this is gonna, we're gonna have to put a new roof on or we're gonna mm-hmm. have to do this or that. Was there anything like that? that came No, it was actually in really good shape. Um, they'd brought in the current owners there. There was an original owner and these guys bought it about three years ago, um, and operated it and they did a lot of work. They, they brought in new uh, the cube system, which is the automatic wash system. And, um, apparently the next closest is in Texas where you can go get this technology to do it. So they, they paid quite a bit of money, I think, to put all this stuff in. Um, and, and those guys were super neat, free kind of meticulous type guys. So everything up there was in great shape. The storeroom's great. All the equipment's great. So, um, we haven't really had to do anything. I mean, we've had talks of like renaming it or repainting the building a different color just to signify new, but, I mean, that's all fun stuff that we can do in the future. Um, We didn't need to do anything. Yeah. We showed up and we just, they ended one day, we started the next day. There you go. So. Well, good for you. Um, What else are you doing? You're involved in helping other franchises with Dutch Rose, like Mm -hmm. with their building and stuff like that. Have you been doing that for a while? Really? Yeah, we had an opportunity. uh, One of our companies, as well as partnered with a friend of mine, and came together and um, were able to purchase some land and build some Dutch Bros locations for other franchisees. We did one in Coeur d'Alene. We did one in Aberdeen, Washington. Um, We just did one in Layton, Utah, outside of Salt Lake City. And that one actually, we built that for the headquarter team. They have an operator in that location. so do you own the land or the building or like what, after when it's all said and done, mm-hmm. you guys go in and build it. Like what happens after you hand the keys over? Yeah. So we own the land. We originally owned the land in like say Coeur d'Alene, for example, we bought the land. 
um, built a building. Um, the Bullers took over as franchisees. They ran the um, operation, but we had to deal with them that they could buy the land back from us okay. um, at a certain term. And so they actually did that. I want to say it was a year ago, maybe a year and a half, two years, maybe two years ago. But so they own the whole thing now. So we got out of the whole thing. We don't have anything of it. And that was kind of the vision of the beginning was a way to help younger franchisees that are newer into the Dutch pros thing to get another location. Because I remember what it was like to only have two or three. You just don't have the capital built right. up to go get the fourth, fifth shop. So, um, you know, we had help back in the day, so why not help someone else? Plus, it's a win-win because we also profit off the, the rental income until they're able to buy it. Um, and then, like, the one in Aberdeen, Washington, that one is still – we still own the land there. Um, and it was a franchise location. Then that franchisee actually went to work for corporate, and HQ took it back over. So we're still working with him. He still eventually wants to buy it back just to hold in his portfolio of things. Um, But right now we still have it. We just collect rent on it. So I'm curious, on your current model with your 14 shops, Mm -hmm. I know that different franchisees who who own like you do or have had different ideas and models on, because there's the land, you know, there's the building, Mm -hmm. and then there's there's the business that exists. Remind me, do you, how many of your buildings do you own? So we own the land in uh, buildings of, shoot, I'd have to do a quick count, uh, five, I think five or six. We had, we sold three about five years ago. We sold three of the properties um, to investors outside the area that were looking, and we did um, use that money to pay up some debt back in the day. It might have been more than that, like eight years ago, I guess. Um, so we had more, but we still have that. And, and our, our goal is it, in a perfect world, if we can buy the property, we're going to buy it because I believe in commercial real estate long term. Um, but <laughs> the market's changing, and there's not that much for sale anymore. Yeah. Um, and if it is for sale, it's three, four, five times the price it used to be. So, right. um, you know, we're also in the market of finding the best location possible um, on the high visibility corners, high visibility streets, intersections. And so a lot of those, we don't have the opportunity to buy the land like we used to. Um, Boise's just grown past that point. So um, our, I think just going forward, the next two, three, four shops we'll do will probably be build the suit type locations just to get another store open. Um, You know, but you never know. And and some of those we try to go in with them and, and possibly do like a joint venture or try to get some type of, uh, creativeness to it to yeah. own a piece of it sure so and are you building another hq mm-hmm. where are you with that yeah so we're gonna move um we're just now actually uh the 30th of december we're gonna move into our new uh dutch bros location on chinden right the old original shop is gonna be knocked down uh, <gasps> oh i know right God, it'll be like a funeral i know God. right um, if it doesn't fall down before it should be a we museum, it should turn it into a museum. Right. That thing's like historical. Uh, yeah, if yeah, if it wasn't completely falling apart, <laughs> we might do that. But that thing is that thing is held strong for fifteen. It should have been like the lobby of like your new HQ. It could have been. You should yeah. have just picked it up and plopped it. Like this we is it, like yeah. a shrine. Kind yeah, of. maybe we can rebuild something similar. <laughs> the uh, so we're gonna move down there, and then my current office that's behind that property, we're gonna stay there for oh I don't know six eight months while the new office is being built um our new office will be up behind um overland and bird up by the movie theaters up there 
we have a Dutch Bros location right on Overland and Bird. We'll be right behind it. Right. So, and it's just, uh, we just need space. We're, we're out of room. We got four or five employees to an office right now and everyone's stepping like We have no parking. When did you build your headquarters on Chinden? It's been three different versions of a building. Um, we've kind of remodeled and added on three times. Um, well, twice. We started with just a 10 by 20 construction container out there was my office just in yeah. the back corner then we got rid of that and built a small tiny one office building and then we expanded into the two-story deal we have now but um we've been in that building fully finished for probably five or six years now yeah i remember when you when you built it out i was like oh my god this is amazing and now like you've outgrown it yeah we're you know did you ever think you were gonna outgrow it no that's why we <laughs> built it as big as we did we thought we were fine but now uh the new office is gonna be about two to three times the size of the current plus another outbuilding just for my maintenance team. And, um, it's going to be like a 7,000 square foot, just warehouse building by itself. Um, which we may not use the entire thing for that. We may lease out some of it, but, um, we have the room to do it up there. And so I did, we went into that project saying, I don't want to do this again in five or six years. Let's just build what we know we're going to (laughs) need. Right. So we'll feel a little small in that office for a while, I think, but, um, but that's okay. When's it, when are you going to be in there? Summer? I'm hoping... I mean, we're, we should be getting the permits back from Boise um, anytime this month. And we're getting towards the end of this month. So I think we're going to be close. And then, um, yeah, it, it might be a 9, 10-month build. Something yeah. like that. All said. I think we'll move up. I, the maintenance building, it'll be a prefab kind of metal building. Um, so I think my maintenance team and stuff will be up there well before we are cool. um, and using that space. Well, that's exciting. Can't wait to come and see you up there. Yeah, it'll be good. All right, buddy. Well, I'm out of questions. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. You got yeah. a lot going on, but um, thanks for coming down in yeah, the suburbs it. and uh, hanging out and talking shop with me. You guys just do incredible work. I'm one of your biggest fans and you know, appreciate what you've done for the community here and all the people that have worked for you and the culture that you've built. And you just, you're always just easy to talk to and chill to be around. And I just appreciate you. And, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Yeah. Take care. All right. There you go. Brian, thank you so much for coming back on and sharing this chapter of your story with us. There's so much good stuff in there and so much to learn. And, uh, you've been doing a lot of hard work on the ground and we're, uh, we're happy to learn from you. And here's to your continued success. Hey, my name is Matt. This is none of my business. You can find me all over the place. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Deets Agency. And uh, you can find my blog at Deets Agency. And that's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and keep up the good work. (laughs) 